This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone, welcome to another podcast. I've got with me Adele here from the Forensic Recovery Unit, or FRU as it's also known. Hello Adele. Hello, thank you for having me. I, I could easily make a joke there uh, <laughs> using the words hello and Adele, but I won't. <laughs> okay, uh, so I'll, I'll get straight in. So to start with, um, why don't we just take a few minutes uh, to talk about you, get to know you, so the listeners can can hear about who is Adele, what it is you do, and like your life story in a, in a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, I guess we'll go back to the start of forensics, really. Um, I've always been interested in forensics and crime, you know, all the programs since a really young age. Um, also had a real interest in sports science and the biology side of stuff. Okay. Um, loved that kind of stuff at school. Um, so when I got to deciding a sort of course for uni, it was quite difficult to choose sort of which path to go down. Um, I've always been a really sporty person, so really passionate about that side of stuff. Um, but in the end, decided to go with forensic science um, with the thought that I could move into sports science at a later stage if I really wanted to. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up doing my dissertation on drugs testing in sports. Okay. Um, so that was quite a nice sort of like mix finish. of the two, almost. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Really loved that. Um, and then I think that's then kind of what led me into my first, you know, sort of real job after uni. Um, so I worked in a lab for a big pharmaceutical company, and that was testing antibiotics. I was there for about three years. Um, looking back, it really sort of laid the foundation for my career and my love of lab work, um, which I definitely didn't realize at the time. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, moved to work for Surrey and Sussex Police and have been here for two and a half years now. I see. So, yeah, having that background in lab work has, yeah, kind of really set you up for the work that you do now. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, was there, yeah definitely. Was there a moment when you knew you were going to get into forensics rather than, say, sports science? I mean... To be honest, I can't. I think the sports science degree that I was looking at, um, it. I think that was was it a bachelor of arts maybe rather than a bachelor of science. Yeah. Um. So in the end, I, I thought you know I'll stick with the the science route, yeah. and then I can always go into that later. But it's definitely always still like stuck as an interest for me. Yeah. Like I'm still very interested at you know looking at all the stats with the exercising everything like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So could it be a possible career change in the future, maybe? I mean, <laughs> potentially, but you know, now now I'm into forensics, like no sort of regrets looking back. Yeah. It's definitely the right thing for me, I think. Yeah. I'm sure if your boss is listening, he'll love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, excellent. Okay, so um, you work for the Forensic Recovery Unit, as we just said. Um, so basically, uh, what is it that this department does for the police? 
so basically, the department's split into two sections, really. Um, it's DNA and fingerprints. Um, so for DNA side of stuff, we do stuff like cellular recovery, blood screening, blood recovery. So that would be sort of, you know, swell, um, swabbing phones, um, firearms, that kind of thing. Um, screening items for blood, swabbing blood, that kind of thing. Um, and then everything we recover on the DNA side of stuff then gets sent off to an external forensic service provider for analysis. So it's very much the recovery aspect um, for that. And then the fingerprint side of things, so we get the exhibits sent to us and then we chemically treat them to enhance latent fingerprints and then examine the exhibits, see if any marks have developed, basically. Okay. So you said the word latent fingerprints. Some people might know, not know what that means. What do you mean by latent fingerprints? So latent fingerprints are basically fingerprints you can't see yeah. uh, with the naked eye yeah. so, so easily, anyway. What, what if you got, a, say, an item and you could see the fingerprints, say if there's a fingerprint in blood on it, what would you do then? We would treat that with a specific treatment. So we have treatments that can enhance um, visual marks in yeah. blood. Um, we do also have visual prints not in blood that come yeah. across sometimes. So we, we always do a visual examination before we touch it, yeah. essentially, just to check that there aren't any visible fingerprints that aren't that obvious. Yeah. So, I... yeah, we'd always photograph those before we touch it and before we yeah. treat it. Because I guess, yeah, if you've got a visible fingerprint and then you didn't correctly look at it and then you did a treatment on it, you could risk, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, destroying Definitely. that fingerprint. Yeah. It does happen as well. Um, like, if you maybe photograph a visual fingerprint, it doesn't always come up again with the treatment. It can be, yeah, different. So yeah. it's definitely worth doing. We always make sure we... Um, do that in case it is lost in treatment. Yeah, God, that sounds um, yeah, it's meticulous work, isn't it? But... Uh, I mean, yeah, a, a yeah. little bit. <laughs> it's That's... easier than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I, I guess um, a lot of the swabbing of, of items, to so say like phones and firearms, um, I would do at a scene. But there's going to be times where like phones are seized by police officers who who don't yes. swab it. So yeah, exactly. that's when someone like you would come in. Yes, exactly. So we sort of, they are mostly seized by officers, actually. Um, and yeah, we take it into the lab, we sort of do the external areas and then take it all apart and do the inside mm. as well. Um, if that's required. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk fingerprints, which is a big part mm -hmm. of your role. What decisions need to be made when items uh, reach your department uh, for basically fingerprint treatment? So, um, basically, when we get the exhibits, first decision is what kind of treatment does it need? So that can depend on quite a few things. Um, firstly, the substrate. So basically, meaning what kind of material the exhibit is, um, if it has multiple materials, that kind of thing. Um, so we measure that by how porous the material is, so how easily liquid or air passes through. Yeah. Uh, for example, paper is very porous, whereas plastic is classed as non-porous. Um, also the condition of the item, so if it's been wet before, 
um, if it's really like you know covered in mud, something like that. Um, the level of crime. So, for example, with major crime, we do what's known as a full sequential set of treatments. So we kind of throw everything we can at it. Um, whereas volume crime, you pick like the best course of treatments mm. for that surface. Um, and then, as you mentioned before, if there's any visual fingerprints in blood, um, we have a specific treatment for that as well to enhance that hmm. further. I see. But yeah, quite a few things. Yeah. So with volume crime, I guess you're not going to throw so many resources at it. So have you just got to make that decision yourself to pick your what you think is going to recover fingerprints best? Yeah, essentially. So we make that judgment based on the surface. Um, I feel like it's it's looking at it more like we we always pick sort of the one best course of treatments and then with the major crime we just put every treatment mm. that's suitable for that surface on it so mm. they're not necessarily the best course of treatments but it has everything possible to maximize yeah. the chance of getting fingerprints so the volume crime jobs they still do get you know the best set of treatments they just don't get the additional that might bring out, you know, a few extra I see. Yeah. marks potentially. Things that might have a lower success rate. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I got you. Okay, um, so are you able to explain some of the fingerprint techniques that you use? Yes, of course. Um, so, yeah, as there's quite a lot of factors to obviously take into account, Naturally, there are a lot of different treatments that we can do. Um, I'll take you through the main ones um, that we use. So with the porous items that I just mentioned, so, you know, like paper, cardboard, we would use um, Ninhydrin, DFO or physical developer. So Ninhydrin is kind of our go-to primary treatment at the moment um, for paper. And it brings fingerprints up in a really nice sort of purple color. Mm. Um, however, if the paper is dark or black, we would then use DFO um, because that is a fluorescent treatment. Mm. Um, so you use a light source to have a look at it um, in a dark room. And then you can see the marks come up in a nice sort of orange color against okay. the dark background. So there's a nice contrast on that. Um, and then physical developer, that's really just used for um, items that have been wet before. I see. So you can't use wet treatments on, um, um, you can't use DFO or NIN on things that have been wet because um, they react with amino acids and they get diluted with water. So I see. So if anything's been don't... out in the rain or, or something like that, exactly. you'd want to know because then that yeah, would affect exactly. your decision. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then with our non-porous items, so, you know, any plastics, glass, that kind of thing, uh, we tend to superglue fume them and then dye them with a fluorescent dye. Um, so, again, we need a specific light source um, so we can see the fingerprints. Um, and, again, that the dye is just added because the superglue leaves sort of a white deposit, so you've got a white... Um, a white deposit that you're looking at which obviously isn't always the best contrast so the no. fluorescence just adds that good contrast for imaging and stuff 
Um, and then for things that have been wet that are non-porous, we would use powder suspension, which is essentially like the powders you guys use at scenes, um, but in a suspension. It's kind of like paint. It's really fun to do. Like use a paintbrush and just paint it all yeah. on. It's I've seen good. it before, and then I don't think I've seen anyone that's used it clean afterwards. It, it, no, it definitely everywhere. not. <laughs> it does go everywhere. It's really fun to do, though. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, they're our main ones, um, really, the ones that we use most often. Yeah. Because um, I was looking at some exhibits the other day, and they were banknotes. Um, oh, yeah and they were like the 20 pound notes uh so british currency the 20 pound notes is typically purple um yeah so i guess like a, a normal oh, i don't know now because the notes have changed haven't they they're more plastic they've changed yeah, yeah. we've changed our treatments on them as well have you? so you've had to adapt haven't you to the yeah the changing currency so with the purple 20 pound notes so we do ninhydrin on them um although ninhydrin comes out purple yeah um, but they have, if you look at a banknote under a light source, they actually have fluorescence in the background. Yeah. yeah. So we don't use the fluorescent treatment on them because that can interfere. I see. Um, so we do ninhydrin on those. Um, but yeah, now we've changed to polymer notes. Um, we do a different course of treatment. So we powder those and we powder suspend those. I see. And I believe, um, you know, CAST, DSTL have done some you know, sort of validation work on that, treating that as a new yeah. um, substrate, I guess. I see. And they've kind of announced that this is the kind of standard that you should do, have they, when you get those banknotes? Yeah. I mean, I haven't personally looked into it or seen it, but I know our lab has done verification on it based okay. on their work. Um, and that's why we do the powder and the powder suspension yeah. in sequence. Yeah, okay. Cool. But yeah, seen as the most effective. Uh, next question. You've developed a fingerprint on something. Then what happens? Um, so we examine each exhibit after each treatment it's had. And at this point, we kind of mark the areas that we're interested in imaging, uh, label those up, um, and then we send those over to the fingerprint experts who then carry out the actual, you know, search, comparison, identification of the prints, um, basically. I see. So it's, yeah. it's not actually your department that would investigate the fingerprints, it would be another department. Yes, exactly. So the experts will do that um, and they will sit at their computer and, you know, look at the print that we've recovered, mm. look at maybe a suspect's prints and, you know, sort of compare or do a search. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. So again, it is the recovery part. We're there to sort of develop the prints, visualize them, image them, and then send those over. Yeah. Okay. So but... yeah, it would be handy if I had a fingerprint expert on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, it would be. That'll it would be, be. Yeah. One. One for the future, I think. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I did ask someone, and uh, yeah, the thought of being uh, recorded, yeah, just didn't appeal to her so i'll have oh, to find really? someone else yeah yeah i mean they are down in down in sussex yeah so you know yeah i've got someone lined up that you you just can't shut up so uh, <laughs> i think he'd be well that sounds suited. good yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> okay so um you've got laboratories that are iso friendly 
And so can you explain yes. what this means? What is ISO friendly? <laughs> okay, so basically it means we've gained accreditation. So we've done this by implementing, you know, certain systems, certain processes in accordance with the standards set by ISO. Um, so we're audited every year um, so that we can demonstrate that we're maintaining these standards. Um, if we're found not to be, we could lose our accreditation. Um, it's it's a challenge sometimes, but mm. you know it's good. I'm sure you're experiencing <laughs> some of that at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way I describe ISO is yeah, it's it's like a set of rules that you've got to follow. But if you follow the rules, then your work is completely easy, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just hard to get to the point of that accreditation, but once you're there, once you're maintain yeah. maintaining, it's yeah. it's fine, really. It's yeah, it's a lot of hoops to jump through, but yeah, yeah. once you know how to do it all, you're like yeah, an agility dog just <laughs> <laughs> at the finish exactly. line, hooray! <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because yeah. um, I think back in the days we used to open up exhibits and we we'd screen them back in our lab and there was no kind of um cleaning procedures in the labs obviously we yeah. we would clean it but um there wasn't a standard set and things so I think yeah. now uh we can only open up exhibits for DNA fingerprints and, and whatnot if it's in like what we call an ISO friendly environment so yes. it'd be an environment that you have um up up at your office yeah so dna free yeah. environment so yeah we've got all the cleans and everything in place for yeah. that yeah it's quite difficult sometimes explaining that to officers because obviously they're they're quite far from yeah. anywhere near iso and <laughs> you know <laughs> it's quite hard explaining to them sometimes why you know we can't just do something within 10 minutes that yeah. kind of thing yeah or why they can't just open it up and do it themselves. We, we do get that sometimes where officers are like, oh, well, I'll just come and swab it for you. Like, I'll just come and do it. It'll take me 10 minutes. <laughs> but it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had officers that have left, uh, like, fingerprints behind at crime scenes, and I've had a conversation with them and said, you know, if possible, could you pop on a pair of gloves? And, yeah. you know, the response I get back is, you know, I, I can try to, but the work that I do, even a split second could cost me, um, yeah, yeah a, a, a scene where I, I'm trying to apprehend someone. So, yeah, there's only yeah. so much I think officers can do and will always be able to do. We've had that um, before, actually, where we've had a statement to say, like, um, how it was, we had this phone kind of seized in a some sort of detainment and you know they said oh I didn't have time to put on gloves mm. um because of the situation that kind of thing so we do get you know statements through with that mm. sometimes so that just slightly affects our strategy but it doesn't always ruin the uh forensic yeah. I prospect I think with contamination if you can look back and follow that contamination and see what the source is then I think the main problem is that when you've got contamination, you've got no idea where it's come from. I'd imagine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's better to know rather than have to, you know, guess and investigate it. Yeah. Um, um, so my next question is your work is mainly in the lab, 
But do you venture out to scenes every now and then? I mean, you might venture out to a scene with yours truly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Fairly recently. Yes. Yes. Um, So what challenges do you face at scenes rather than in a lab? Probably not forgetting anything, mainly. (laughs) (laughs) We're obviously very used to having, you know, everything just right, you know, within an arm's reach. Um, But no. Um, So obviously we're used to working with exhibits. um, So, you know, items that you can kind of maneuver, um, carry, that kind of thing. Um, So obviously when we go to scenes, it tends to be something that can't be seized. Um, So, you know, like a wall or a floor, Mm. banister, that kind of thing. Um, So we definitely need to adapt and consider different ways of, you know, applying chemicals, um, where it's going to drip to, that kind of thing. Um, also, of course, the safety being a big difference. Um, so obviously back in the lab, we've got all our fume cabinets, you know, our areas that are specifically designed for our treatments. Um, whereas at a scene, obviously, um, you don't have that luxury. Um, so we have to sometimes use special equipment just to ensure safety of ourselves Mm. and of, you know, the public, people around us, people we're working with, you guys, Mm. Um, so yeah, that can be quite a challenge. For example, this scene that we did go to and did some work with you on, um, that was quite a closed off scene and we couldn't open any windows near where we were working. Um, so in that specific instance, we had to sort of find the nearest window that we could crack open, um, and then use some equipment so we had sort of full face masks with tubes attached to a sort of ventilation system which we had to hold by the window that kind of thing just to make sure that we were safe whilst applying all the chemicals that kind of thing so sometimes you know it can be challenging with that um also making sure that we communicate effectively with the crime scene manager just to you know let them know what chemicals we've used um, so the scene can be, you know, kind of dealt with properly once we've left, like not leave any nasty stuff behind. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it can... I think we used some ninhydrin um, at that scene as well on the walls and obviously that soaks in and it will, you know, stay there. Yeah. For yeah. a very long time, so yeah. it'll probably need a few licks of paint, wouldn't it? To <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think they have to actually remove the um like the plaster, the layer, yeah. the plaster, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm not surprised. But... but yeah, it it's really fun. Like we do love going to scenes. Yeah. It's always it's always nice to be challenged in that way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, because it it must be kind of strange in a way. Like sometimes you've you've got this environment, it's a bit like an office environment, you know what you're going to face every time you walk into the office, you know, right, there's my chair, there's my computer, I've got everything that I need, and then, yeah, you'll you'll go to a scene, and it might be that, okay, so I'm going to walk in here, but there's no floor where I need to get, (laughs) so I'm going to have to get scaffolding in, or I'm going to have to get harnessed in. (laughs) I know we've we've had scenes, you know, sort of in a bus stop quite recently, um, in a lift, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, different, as I'm sure you can imagine, there's a lot of different sort of scenarios you can be faced with. Even, I know we don't do our photograph, uh, photography anymore. I know you guys do it. Um, 
but I know people have had issues before where you're in like a very sort of narrow hallway and you can't actually, mm. you know, get at the right angle to take a photograph, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a challenge, but it, it's yeah. a nice one. But I'm just, we I'm all just, enjoy it. I'm sure like the listeners are probably picturing like if they've got an office job, what would it be like <laughs> if all of a sudden your computer was at a bus stop or in a lift? <laughs> Yeah, it exactly. would take a bit of adjustments. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I guess yeah. You've you've been like at a bus stop. You've got the weather. The weather could easily change, couldn't it? And you've got to yeah. be mindful of the public. So yeah, that would have to definitely. be all cordoned off. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely get papped sometimes. Yeah. As um, well. So. Uh, the department you um, so the department you work for covers uh, work for both Surrey and Sussex. So how do you cope the demand from say both forces? Well, it obviously gets really busy um, at times, um, but we've got a really well balanced team um, with a lot of experience, a lot of willingness to help each other, which is really good. Mm. Really necessary to keep on top of the deadlines. Um, when we do have scenes, I'm sure you can imagine it takes a lot of resources, especially yeah. sort of if it's, you know, the other end of Sussex, it might take three people out for a few days, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, it's really great that we've got the team that are able to kind of handle that and support that, um, which is really good. Like we work, we do work very well together and we do have to sort of organize and prioritize our day every morning, essentially. Like you can't really you know forecast the week all the time um because you know we do get urgents that kind of thing from Surrey and Sussex um come in like as soon as we try and plan a little bit ahead we get an urgent it's yeah. you know it's yeah. just how it goes so <laughs> but yeah it it is busy but it's good it's manageable definitely yeah. and and what are your working hours like um so we do we used to cover weekends actually in work, but now we are on call instead at weekends. So we've moved to Monday to Friday mm. um, and then on call at the weekend and we do earlies and lates. So that's eight till four for an early and 12 till eight for a late. I see. So yeah, not too bad. Yeah. Not like you guys. <laughs> Well, we only work normally up until 10, so there's only an extra two hours. Oh, okay. But... Oh, but you do on call overnight, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't that, be called That must out... be stressful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now I've got a little baby, um, I feel like I'm pretty much called out every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True, but, very true. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily get called out overnight? No, we, we don't cover... Monday to Friday, we just cover the hours 8 to 8, like, in the office. And then the weekend, it's nine till six yeah. that we're on call for. So that could be if you've got, say, what, urgent lab work? Yeah, there? so that would be, you know, yeah, anything urgent to do DNA or fingerprint-wise. Yeah, so if you've got, say, for example, what we call a crime in action, so it could be that there's a, a kidnapping and we want to find whoever's done it because then that person's life is, is currently in risk. Yeah, um, exactly. Then I guess, yeah, if you've got like a mobile phone and you want to swab it for DNA before doing like the investigation to see what uh, data's on the phone, then you could be called yes. in to do that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
So yeah, they always yeah we always do the DNA first before they know sort of what's on the phone. Yeah. Because um, obviously then it would be compromised DNA wise. Um, but yeah, phones are probably the most common urgent um, exhibits we get in. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Okay. Um. So my last question, I think we've sort of covered this right at the beginning, but how did you get into the role? Um, yes, so, so towards the end of my job at the pharmaceutical company, um, it basically took about a year and a half of applying for a lot of forensic based roles, uh, with forensic service providers, um, police forces, that kind of thing. Had a lot of interviews, had a lot of close calls, um, very frustrating period <laughs> of my life. Um, the latest of those was a volume crime scene investigator oh, for yeah. Sussex. Um, so I didn't get one of the positions available, but I was next in line. So, you know, you sort of go into a pool for six months. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they told me that they'd like they'd asked for five more positions and because I was next in line I was like yes it's gonna happen five more positions um yeah so in the meantime I applied for the forensic hub assistant role um so that's at the site that I'm at now yeah um so I got offered that so I started that job whilst I sort of waited hoping for my VCSI <laughs> role to come up um I also got offered a job with a forensic service provider at the same time, a year after I interviewed. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. It's like buses. They all came at once. Yeah. Um, so that was frustrating because I'd literally just made the decision to sort of settle, move house. So I didn't take that. I stuck with the assistant job. Um, and then, yeah, the VCSI role didn't come through. They ended up cutting that role, as oh, you yeah, know. Yeah, of course they did, yeah. Um, but luckily, when I started as an assistant, um, I realised there was a forensic labs downstairs, <laughs> which I didn't really know about. So <laughs> that worked out quite well. Um, so about six months into my job as an assistant, a role in the lab came up, which I applied for and got. Yeah. Um, I think mostly based on my previous experience with an accredited lab. Um, so, yeah, kind of all worked out for the best in the end. Yeah. But it was definitely a very long, difficult process yeah. to get your foot in the door. Yeah, it sounds very similar to me because I was trying for a year to get in. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and I'd just go for interview after interview. And, yeah, you just yeah. get knocked back all the time and you've got to motivate yourself to think. It no, is. I, 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 if I stick at it, I, I can do it. And then, yeah, I got um, a job as a post clerk in, in, the, in the department. Really? Like opening letters and things. Um, oh, nice. And, yeah, that I was at for like six months. And, yeah, it just all happened yeah. so quickly after that. It was just, yeah, just wanted to yeah. put in the door when I was young. And yeah. That's it, isn't it? It's getting in that's the hardest part. Yeah. It's yeah. getting in because so many people apply for these jobs, like, you know, obviously they think it's like it is on TV. It's the dream, you know. Um, obviously the reality is very different. Yeah. But it's, it, it's a really sought after sort of career, I think. Um, so it is, it is really challenging to get in, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's like lots of university courses that that do this, and not enough jobs for for everyone to go around. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. We, I think, when we started my forensics course, they basically said, "Oh, you're going to really struggle to get a job because you know the forensic science service it's gone now. Um, <laughs> you know everything's collapsing. Um, it's going to be a struggle." That's just the pet um, talk you want, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I know we're all like oh (laughs) yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um thank you I'm sure that's been so detailed and I I think everyone's probably got a a much better idea now of what goes on in our forensic recovery unit and the lab up in in Surrey no that's been brilliant thank you ever so much Adele thanks Chris thanks very much This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.